Hi, my name is Pastor David Elijah, and we are New Millennium Kingdom Church. We come to you live from Mission, Texas. And tonight we have a very special message. It's going to be a new series based on the book of Revelation. This is one of my favorite books, and we will go in-depth and study the book of Revelation and find out what it has to say about the past, about the present, and about the future. We are living in times when people are confused and they are stressed and they're worried about the future. There's so many things happening around the world and people are wondering what is happening. Are we in the end times? Are we facing what is written in the book of Revelation? Is the rapture imminent? There's so many questions going through the mind of believers and going through the mind of unbelievers. So there's a lot of uh, curiosity and there's a lot of uh, interest to know, is the Bible true? Is what the book of Revelation talks about, is it real? Is it going to happen in our time, in our time, in our generation? So we're going to go deep into the book of Revelation and try to understand what events are going to take place, whether they're relevant for us, and if we are to be prepared for such times. So let us pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for your word especially for the book of Revelation, because it has special blessings, it has special revelation, it has special knowledge, so that we would be able to understand your will for the end times, for the times that we're going to begin to enter. So help us to have revelation to understand your books, so that we would be fully prepared for your return. So bless this time, bless this word, bless this message. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. And just a quick note, for those who haven't yet subscribed to our channel, just go ahead and do that and like our videos. We want to have more engagement with our audience. We want to know where you are from, what are your thoughts, what kind of prayer requests you may have, any details of your life that you want to share. You can directly message us or you can just leave a comment below the message. We have a whole series of videos that is already there. We have over 175 videos now that you can go back and look into the archives and see all of them to have a better understanding of who we are, what we teach, what we stand for, and what we obey. There are a lot of false teachers, a lot of false prophets, there's a lot of false teachings and doctrines, and our primary role is to cut through all of that and to establish the uncompromised truth of God's Word. There are a lot of false teachers and pastors will take one scripture and they'll twist it out of context and they'll make a whole doctrine around it, and they use that to deceive many people. But we are here to take scripture after scripture, word after word, chapter after chapter, book after book, throughout, from the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament, all the way into the book of Revelation, so that you have a fully balanced view of the Word of God. We just don't quote one scripture and twist it and bend it out of shape, like a lot of people do, especially in the West. But we are here to establish the Word of God rightly, dividing the Word of truth and praying and asking the Holy Spirit to help us to interpret that truth clearly and in simple terms so that it's not complicated, anyone can understand it and follow it and obey it. So let's go to the message today. We're going to start off with an introduction to the book of Revelation and we will go in depth, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, all the chapters. So it may take a few weeks, few months, depending how long it takes, but we're not going to rush it. We're going to take it line by line so that we can fully understand what God's Word is telling us for today. So, 
the introduction. So we're going to study the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible and it has a lot of chapters and it explains a lot of things that will take place in the end of time, in the end of days. And so many people don't read it. A lot of pastors don't share about it because it has a lot of judgments and apocalyptic events, catastrophic events, a lot of death, a lot of war, lots of things that are so dramatic and and people are just afraid to read it. But we are in such times that we are surrounded by a pestilence, a pandemic, a plague that's invaded all the nations of the world. So we're already tasting some of that. So we're getting a foretaste of what is written in the book of Revelation. So it is on us to try to understand and study this book better than any other book of the Bible because it speaks about the end of days. It speaks about the end times. And we are such generation that are facing such kind of situations. So let's just go through the introduction of this book. So the book of Revelation. This book contains an account of visions in symbolic and allegorical language which has been borrowed extensively from the Old Testament, especially from the book of Ezekiel, from the book of Zechariah, and especially from the book of Daniel. Later on, we'll do a comparative study between the book of Revelation and what's written in Daniel, what's written in Ezekiel, and also in Zechariah. Because even those prophets spoke very extensively, or not extensively, they had specific prophecies regarding the end of days. So we will read that after we've done with the book of Revelation. We'll do a comparison and we'll see how similar the language is, how similar the events are. And it's just a confirmation of what the other three prophets spoke about that John in this book has also written. So the book of Revelation cannot be adequately understood except against the historical background of these three Old Testament books. The book of Ezekiel, Zechariah and Daniel. So once we've done with a thorough study of the book of Revelation, We'll go into Ezekiel, Zechariah, and Daniel and do that comparison. So like Daniel, it is composed as a resistance literature to meet a crisis. So what does that mean? Daniel wrote at a time when they were in bondage, they were slaves, and he wrote the book of Daniel in the midst of that slavery, in the midst of all that suffering and crisis. And the book of Revelation also has been written under the Roman Empire. John was a slave to the Romans. He was on an island where he was breaking rock. He was doing hard labor just because he was a Christian and he was a preacher. So he was suffering. He was in a crisis. And he wrote the book of Revelation regarding his generation, his time under the Roman Empire. But he also spoke about events that would happen in our time. So this book itself suggests that the crisis was ruthless persecution of the early church by the Roman authorities. So when he was writing it, he was under persecution. The church was suffering. It was under attack. Christians were getting killed and martyred and crucified just because they believed in Jesus Christ. And because they proclaimed the truth, the Roman rulers of that generation and that day would mercilessly kill them and slaughter them and throw them to the lions and really make them suffer. So he wrote the book during that time of persecution and trouble. So this book represents a lot of it regarding the persecution of the church, the suffering of the church, and the martyrdom of the church. So the harlot Babylon is also mentioned in the book of Revelation, and it symbolizes pagan Rome. 
The, the book of Revelation talks about uh, an entity called Babylon. It's called a harlot, a prostitute. And John at that time is comparing it to Rome, which represented that and all the evil that was connected to Babylon. And it's called the city on the seven hills. Revelation chapter 17, verse 9. So he was specifically calling out Babylon that was Rome in his age. Today we live in a modern day Babylon, which is this nation, America. It has the same evils, the same wickedness, the same paganism, the same occult practices. So we are right now facing the same kind of Babylon that John faced when he was coming against the Roman Empire and he was being persecuted and killed. Today, churches in America are under persecution. They are under lockdown. They're not being allowed to meet, but they're allowing bars and clubs and casinos and protests on the streets. All that is okay. But the churches are not allowed to open and to worship freely. So the persecution of the church has already come to this nation. We had spoken about this 10 years ago, and people looked at us wondering, what are we talking about? Because that was a period of prosperity for the church and for this country. And that was a time when we were telling the church, we were warning the church, persecution is coming to this nation. And now it is here. This book is then an exhortation and an admonition to Christians of the first century to stand firm in the faith and to avoid compromise with paganism. So even though there's a warning for that generation, for those people in that time, it's the same warning for us today. Where you see Christians today sitting in churches or not sitting in churches and they're mixing it with yoga and occult practices and divination and all kinds of abominations. And they're saying, oh, it's okay. We can do all this and we can do that. We can do mindfulness. We can do Eastern meditation. We can do occult practices and we can be Christians. So the book of Revelation is a warning to compromise Christians, to Christians that are, you know, uh, fully polluted and contaminated by the culture of the day. This is a very big culture war that takes place. Any generation that they find themselves believing in Christ, they go into a war with the culture, with the society of the day, and the rulers of the day. It's a common theme throughout the book, throughout the books of the Bible, and even in our times today. So it's it's a warning to avoid compromise with paganism. And despite the threat of adversity and martyrdom, they are to wait patiently the fulfillment of God's mighty promises. So in the midst of persecution, in the midst of attacks, in the midst of paganism, in the midst of compromise, true believers are called to take a firm stand. And even if they die for their faith, is to just trust in God and keep moving forward. So till the time when God fulfills his promises to his people and to his church. There are powerful promises in the book of Revelation to the church to faithful believers, to overcomers of the faith. It is not for the cowards. It's not for the narcissists. It's not for self-obsessed people. The West is full of narcissists and they think, oh yeah, I believe in God, I believe in heaven, and I go to a fancy church, so I'm going to go to heaven. And they are full of self-idolatry. And they'll be in for a rude shock because they have not read the book of Revelation. The church today is guilty of not presenting the true nature of Christ, the true nature of who Jesus is. They presented him to be the suffering servant in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they stay there. They don't talk about the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation describes Jesus Christ as the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and the God of war. He's coming back as a conquering king, 
and he's going to slay the wicked. The many wicked that think they can just get away with their wickedness, the sword of God is coming to take their head off. And even before that, Antichrist will take their head off. So there's a warnings in the book of Revelation for compromised, mixed believers, hybrid, half sheep, half goat believers, that you better watch out. Either you serve Christ all the way, fully, faithfully, without compromise, without twisting the word of God for your own benefit, without making demands of God, just humbling yourself and trusting in God and obeying His commandments and waiting for Him to come back to reward you or to go with the crowd and face destruction. So the book of Revelation is a really serious book. We must pay attention to it. The triumph of God in the world of men and women remains a mystery to be accepted in faith and longed for in hope. When we talk about the promises of God, we talk about the return of Jesus, we talk about the rapture. It's just a mystery to the unbeliever. They're like, what are you talking about? The devil rules. Evil is ruling. Everybody's doing whatever they feel like doing and they're doing wickedness and they're abusing one another and hurting one another and backstabbing each other and gossiping about each other. And where is God in all of that? But they don't realize that day of reckoning is coming. The book of Revelation describes it in a very horrific way. That the ungodly and the wicked will keep doing ungodliness and then the Lord will appear and he will destroy them. So we wait in patience with long suffering. We wait because we know the Lord will come in victory, in triumph, and he will destroy his enemies. He will destroy your enemies and he will embrace you. And that is by faith. And today, where is the faith? People don't have faith in God. They question, when is Jesus coming back? We don't know when he's coming back. Yeah, he is coming back. Every true believer has that hope in their spirit. And the Holy Spirit keeps them rock steady, saying, doesn't matter what you're going through right now. Don't grumble. Don't whine. Don't complain. Don't be a backbiter. Don't be a hater. Just stay in the faith. Just stay strong in the spirit. Just walk and overcome all evil around you. And I will come back and reward you. Jesus is very clear. He knows you name by name. It is a triumph that unfolded in the history of Jesus of Nazareth. And continues to unfold in the history of the individual Christian. Who follows the way of the cross. Even if necessary to a martyr's death. So this is a mystery that's unfolding. It's an unveiling. It's a revelation. The word apocalypsis, the revelation, means unveiling, to unveil, to remove the veil out of the way so that you can see clearly now. That's what the book of Revelation does. It shows you the final victory of Jesus Christ over all the nations, over all wickedness, over all powers and principalities. And the church suffers attacks, the church suffers persecution, but the church knows that the Lord Jesus is coming back to give victory to every believer. Even if you die for the faith. Because then your victory and your reward is far greater if you're a martyr for Christ. The book of Revelation had its origin in a time of crisis. But it remains valid and meaningful for Christians for all time. This is a timeless book. It is not just a historical book. A lot of people say, oh, the Bible is 2,000 years old. It's an old book and... It's not valid anymore. It's not relevant anymore. 
No, it's valid right now. This pandemic is just a little taste of what is coming. And the book of Revelation describes all kinds of horrific things that will come upon the earth. Jesus said men's hearts will fail for what's coming upon the earth. Signs in the heavens, signs in the skies, on the earth, earthquakes and famines and all kinds of things that will take place. Wars will take place. He warned all these things. When we read Matthew 24 and we compare it to the book of Revelation, we're like, wow, the Lord is saying all these things. And then he's repeating it in the book of Revelation in total high definition detail. And John is seeing it in a vision and he had to write it down. I'm glad he wrote it down so that today we can read it and we can say, oh my goodness, is that what God has planned for this planet? We better be ready. Our hearts have to be ready. Our attitude has to be ready. Our walk has to be ready. We can't play games anymore. We can't play church anymore. There are too many fake Christians and counterfeit Christians running around deceiving themselves and deceiving others. Saying, I'm a Christian. I go to this church. No, you're a hypocrite. You're a liar. You're a deceiver. You're a manipulator. And you have your reward waiting. Because if you truly knew the Lord Jesus, you would not play those games. People that walk around with deception and lying and cheating and, and deceiving each another, they don't know the Lord Jesus. They have not read the Bible. That's why they play these games, because they do not understand the depth and the, the power and the authority of the Word of God. In the face of apparently blatant evil, either from within or from without, all Christians are called to trust in Jesus' promise. And what is that promise? Behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. This is the promise Jesus gave in Matthew 28, verse 20. Before his ascension, this was a promise he left behind for his disciples and for all true followers and believers of his name and his kingdom. He said, Behold, I am with you. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. We as a generation have come to the end of the age. In many times past, other generations thought that, oh, the end has come and we've come to the end of the world and life is going to be over. But they never had so many prophetic fulfillments take place in their time like the way we are seeing right now. There's so many things that are coming together. There's a convergence of science and technology and, and new age and the occult and all kinds of evil and racial differences, ethnic Cleansing, all kinds of things that are taking place even today on the streets of the U.S., in other countries, nations hating other nations, going to war against other nations. All these things are happening. This is just the beginning of sorrows. These are the beginning of the end of days. But those who remain steadfast in their faith and confidence in the risen Lord, they don't need to have any fear. That's the difference between a true believer and a half-believer. True believers have no fear. Okay, whatever happens, whatever comes, our faith is centered and rock solid in Jesus Christ. Last, I think, uh, broadcast I shared about this. A lot of people put their faith in a vision or a dream or some experience or some goosebump feelings or some emotion. or That is not what your faith is based upon. Your faith is based upon Jesus Christ, His return, His resurrection, and his promises from his word. That's where your faith comes from. It doesn't come from some dream you had, some vision you had, some prophecy you got. All these things are byproducts. 
They're to be put aside. Your faith is to be based upon Jesus Christ and His Word alone. That's where your faith comes. And the ones who put their faith in the Word of God, they fully understand it, fully believe it, and they walk it out. They are not shaken. They have built their house on a rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. And He said that. He said, I will build my church on this rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's an unshaken church. That's a ch church, a body of Christ that is immovable, unshakable, fully confident in God alone, in the face of all evil, in the face of all suffering, in the face of all persecution. And that comes through hearing the Word of God, through studying His Word, through praying to the Lord. Suffering, persecution, even death by martyrdom, though remaining impenetrable mysteries of evil, they do not mean that it's a dead end for the believer. A lot of people think, oh, if I die today, what's going to happen? What's waiting for me on the other side? People are afraid of death. You look at the videos on COVID-19 and all these people are dying in the hospitals and nursing homes, all of that. You see pure terror on their faces. That's a sign that they're not Christian. Only a true believer goes smiling to heaven. He knows where he's headed. He's not afraid of death. So for others, it's a mystery. Like, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I'm scared. I'm going to die. I see people driving around and inside their nice air-conditioned car, they have a mask on. They're so terrified of this virus, they will put on a mask even sitting in their car, driving all over the place. That is fear. And yes, we are not denying the fact that this virus is real, this threat is real, this pandemic is real. This is a bioweapon. It was designed and created in a lab to destroy humans. But we're not afraid of that. Psalm 91 gives you that promise that no pestilence, no pandemic, no evil will come near your dwelling place. That's a promise to an overcoming believer. It is not a promise to the unbeliever. It's not a promise to the wicked. The wicked will die with this virus. So no matter what adversity or sacrifice Christians may endure, they will in the end triumph over Satan and his forces because of their faithfulness to Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate victor. So Christians who are truly believers, who are truly born again, they're filled in the Holy Spirit, they're walking by faith, trusting in God, they will ultimately have the victory. There's victory and, and reward waiting for you from the Lord Himself when you walk the walk. We keep telling people, pay the price and walk the walk. There is no shortcut to heaven. There's no quick fix. There's no, uh, you know, like a quick microwave version of Christianity. It's a daily walk. So this is the enduring message of this book. What is that message? It's a message of hope. It's a message of consolation. It's also a message of a challenge for all who dare to believe. That's the message of this book. It's not a big mystery. When we go through every chapter, every verse, we will see that the underlying message, the foundational truth of this book is about hope, it's about consolation, and it's also a challenge. Jesus is challenging believers. All the challenges to overcome is to the believer. He's not talking to the unbeliever. So how do people interpret the book of Revelation? There are four kinds of people 
or four groups of people that study the book of Revelation, and this is how they interpret it. And then we'll share how we interpret the book of Revelation. So interpreters of Revelation normally fall into four groups. Number one, they're called preterists. Preterists understand the book exclusively in terms of its first century setting. That means this is a group of people called preterists that believe that this book was written for the first century. It's fulfilled. All the promises are fulfilled. All that was written is already done and it's over. Now it's just a historical book. That all these events have already happened. And in some form, they are true to a certain degree. Some events did take place. Jerusalem was destroyed. A lot of Christians did die. And Nero and all the you know, Caesars of Rome did kill a lot of people. They did desecrate the temple. They did a lot of things. So the preterists believe that all these events have taken place and it's done. What they cannot answer you about is the great earthquake that will take place and the four horsemen of the apocalypse and so many different things, seven plagues that are in the Bible. They did not happen in those times. So preterists have a limited uh, belief or limited understanding of the book of Revelation. Number two is historicists. These are a group of people that take it as describing the long chain of events from the time of John all the way to the end of history. So they believe that this is all the way true. Number three, futurists place the book primarily in the end times. In one way, we are that group. We are futurists. We believe, yeah, it is still come to pass. It'll still take place. The Antichrist will still come. The rapture will take place. The judgments of God will happen. All the bowls and the wrath and all of the trumpets, all of those will still need to take place. The great earthquake will take place. The great apostasy will take place. All these things are future events. But we are right at the edge of that time timeline where it will start to play out right in front of our eyes. So we are futurists in one sense as we believe it, but we are also believers that it's happening in our generation. Just like John thought it happened in his generation, we are like John saying it's going to happen in our times. And number four, idealists. Idealists view it as just symbolic, it's just pictures, it's just timeless truths, it's just a metaphor, it's just an allegory. So that's how they look at the book of Revelation. These are just symbols, these are just signs, these are just you know, little nuggets of truth that you study it just for the purpose of studying it. They don't believe it's actually true. So those are called idealists. So let's quickly run through the outline of the book of Revelation. It's a pretty long list, but let's just quickly go through it. Number one is the greeting and the doxology that starts in chapter one. And then from chapter one, verse nine onwards, Jesus is speaking to John about the seven churches. And he tells John to start writing letters to all these seven churches. So Jesus describes the seven churches of the time of John. These letters were written to the present day church of John. So the letters were to the seven churches, chapters two and three, where it's Ephesus is one church, Smyrna is another church, Pergamum is one church, Thyatira is one church, Sardis is another church, Philadelphia is one church, and Laodicea is one church. So from chapter 2 and chapter 3, we'll go through all the letters and all the admonitions, the corrections, the rebukes, and all the commendations that Jesus gave to these seven churches. And even though it was for those specific churches, 
Today, the churches in our time also face the same kind of standards that Jesus set for those seven churches. It applies to us today. It wasn't just for those seven churches. Those standards and those warnings and those references are for us in our time. Number four, chapters, chapters four and five, we see the, the great throne of God, the throne room of God, the scroll that Jesus is going to open, and the Lamb of God in heaven. You see the throne in heaven in chapter 4. It describes in detail what the throne of God looks like. Then it speaks in chapter 5 of the seven-sealed scroll. And then chapter 5 or 6, the Lamb is slain. And chapter 6, the seven seals are opened. So what is that? The first seal is the white horse, and we'll go into detail what that means. The second seal is the red horse. And let me just say the word seal is a roll of paper that's, un, that's been sealed up and it's opened. And inside that seal is like a letter and that letter is written. In the old days, the kings had these kind of scrolled, rolled up paper with a seal on it. And they would present it to the king. A runner would come like a postman and he would deliver it. And the, only the king could open that seal because it had this, you know, rubber or plastic or whatever it was. There was a seal on it. Or in the old days, they would use candle wax and they would seal it. So only the king could break that seal. And these seals, Jesus is opening these seals. He has the authority and the power and the dominion to do it. No one else in heaven can open these seals. And then he's declaring all the different judgments. Each seal, there's a judgment written inside it. And those judgments are for the earth and for the wicked. So the first seal is the white horse. The second seal is the red horse. And these are symbols of what is written in the seal. It's not actually a red horse or a black horse or a pale horse, but it signifies, it's symbolic of a certain judgment that's going to come upon the earth. The fourth seal is the pale horse. The fifth seal is the souls under the altar. The sixth seal is the great earthquake. The sealing of the 144,000. So all these are mentioned in detail and we'll go through it in detail. Right now, we're just going through the outline. Then it says the great multitude in chapter 7. And then the seventh seal is the silence in heaven, chapter 8. And the seven trumpets, the next round of judgments is called the seven trumpets, chapter 8 onwards. Okay, so you have the first trumpet that is hail and fire mixed with blood. The second trumpet is a mountain thrown into the sea. The third trumpet, the star wormwood or an asteroid that's going to come and hit the waters and the waters are going to get um, contaminated and poisoned and tsunamis will be generated and all these kind of things will happen. That's the third trumpet. The fourth trumpet is the third of the sun and the moon and the stars are struck. So there's going to be a heavenly sign and God is going to do a supernatural event where the sun, moon and the stars around the earth are going to get darkened and all kinds of heavenly disturbances will take place and men will be standing on the earth looking up into the heavens and they will see it with their naked eye and they will say, oh my goodness, what's going on? So these are all signs and wonders for mankind, for humans to see and have the fear of God, the awe of God, and then to have the humility of God, to humble themselves and their pride and their nonsense. So God is doing all these things upon the earth to wake up humanity before they perish, before they die and go to hell. The fifth seal is the plague of locusts. This has already happened in Africa recently. There was a massive plague of locusts that came. 
over a mile wide. I think it was a huge, and it ate up all the food in Ethiopia and all these African nations. And they said it's moving towards China. This is like similar to the fifth trumpet. And now they're saying because of that, there will be food shortages in these countries. People are going to be starving because these locusts came and ate up all the grain, all the fruits, everything. And they just come and devour everything in sight. Imagine one mile wide plague of locusts. Locusts are big bugs that eat fruits, vegetables, grain. They just come descend like a pack, like a whole bunch of bugs. And they've come down upon a field and they strip that field of all the grain and all the food that is there. And that's like a plague. God is sending that. He's using creatures and critters and bugs and insects to cause judgment upon people and their food supply. Sixth seal, or sixth trumpet, the release of the four angels. And what each angel is supposed to do is also described, and we'll go in detail about that. It's very interesting to know what kind of instructions these four specific angels were given and what they were supposed to do upon the earth. Then you have the angel and the little scroll, chapter 10. And then chapter 11, you see the two witnesses that will come into Jerusalem. They'll come against Antichrist and they will be killed for their preaching and their declaring against the Antichrist. And then they will be raised from the dead. That will be a supernatural miracle that will happen. All that is mentioned in the book of Revelation. And these things have had not yet happened so that's why the preterists say, oh, this happened, but this part has not happened. So then they are wrong in many ways. Seventh trumpet, the judgments and the rewards of the believers. Chapter 11. Chapter 12 has a lot of different events and people mentioned in it. And then chapter 12 is interesting because it talks about the woman and the dragon. So that's a very interesting chapter. And chapter 13 speaks about the two beasts. There's not just one beast, but there are two beasts mentioned. Then chapter 14 talks about the lamb and the 144,000 that are sealed by God. So chapter 14 describes that. And then chapter 14 verse 6 describes the harvest of the earth. So we are not even halfway through the book of Revelation and look how many details are there. So we're going to take our time and go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and study this whole book. It's going to take us a while, but we will really enjoy this, I, I believe. And then chapters 15 and 16 speaks about the seven bowls. The seals are done, the trumpets are done, and now the bowl judgments are going to be described. So the first bowl is ugly and painful sores or boils or tumors, chapter 16. The second bowl is where the sea turns to blood. The water in the oceans and the sea is going to turn to blood. The third bowl is rivers and springs of water will become blood. So you can't even drink from a spring or from a river. There will be shortage of water because the waters have become poisoned. The fourth bowl, the sun scorches people with fire. That, that most probably is a solar flare. It's a corona ejection. That a heat wave will come upon the earth and it will burn the skins off of people. It will also burn uh, plant life and animal life and so that is another judgment. That's the fourth bowl. The fifth bowl is darkness. This is three days of darkness, supernatural darkness that will cover the earth. No light will work. No candles will work. No flashlights will work. It's supernatural thick darkness. You cannot even see your own hand in the middle of this darkness. That's how ugly this darkness is going to be. 
Today, when we talk about it, people say, oh, I don't believe that or whatever. Yeah, when that happens to you, you will have to believe and you will be terrified because nobody likes to be in pure darkness and there will be demons around, floating around, tormenting people in the midst of that darkness. And why is God doing that? Because that's what hell looks like. That's what hell is an experience of. So God is giving humanity a taste of hell on the earth so that they will repent, so that he doesn't have to send them to hell. That's the purpose of all this. You think God is mean and he's rude and he's, what is he doing? He's doing this as a merciful thing. He's doing it as grace. He doesn't want anyone to die and go to hell. So he's going to do this display of power and incredible events on the earth upon humanity so that they will break, they will fall on their knees, they will cry for mercy, they will cry out for God's salvation, and they will be saved. That's the purpose of all these things happening. The fifth bowl is darkness. The sixth bowl, Euphrates River dries up. That'll be a supernatural event that'll happen. The whole river dries up and people say, oh my goodness, what happened to the Euphrates River? It'll be a symbol or a sign for the Middle East. The seventh bowl, tremendous earthquake. This is a worldwide earthquake. The whole earth will shake. Chapter 16, we'll go into detail about that. Then you come to chapter 17 where Babylon is described as a great prostitute. And this is a nation state. In the time of John, it was Rome. In our time, it is this land, America, Babylon, the great prostitute. So Babylon is described in chapter 17. All its evils and everything is described. And that used to be Rome, which was a superpower. It had armies across many nations and it had dominion and power over many nations. Today, America enjoys that role in the world. Nobody else has that kind of power and authority in the world like America has today. So it's symbolic of what Rome used to look like in the time of John. And then the fall of Babylon, chapter 18. This nation will fall. It'll fall in a horrible way. All its prosperity will be gone. All its human, the population will be gone. There's more than 200 million people will die in a horrible way in this nation. I'm telling you, it's a horrific thing what's going to happen to this nation. God is going to take this nation as an example for the rest of the world to show how his judgment will come upon a nation. So that is described in chapter 18. And then there will be praise for Babylon's fall in chapter 19. All the angels and the hosts of heavens will praise that event. They will say, yes, very good that Babylon has fallen because of its wickedness and its evil ways. Then you have chapter 19, verse 6, is the wedding supper of the Lamb. That is described in detail. We'll go into all of that. And then chapter 19 describes the return of Christ, the physical return of Jesus Christ upon the earth. And then what comes after that is the millennial kingdom, chapter 20. The thousand years of Jesus coming upon the earth and ruling and reigning over the whole earth from Jerusalem, from the city of God in Israel. The chapter 20 verse 7 describes how Satan will finally be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. Then chapter 20 verse 11 describes the great white throne judgment. This is a judgment for unbelievers. Father God is going to judge all the wicked, all the evil people, all the ones that were sent to hell and Hades. This throne, white throne judgment is for them. For believers, we have another throne judgment. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. In that you're not judged to be condemned. You're judged according to your works. 
You're judged according to your service to God and to His church, and you will be rewarded accordingly. Your life will be opened up. You will be, the book of remembrance will be opened up, and there it will be written all the kind deeds you did, all the things you did, all the blessings you did for other people, how selfless you were, whatever you did for others with the right motive, with the right intent. It's not just, oh, I did so much charity and I blessed the poor and I did this, but I had arrogance in my heart, I had pride in my heart, and I was doing it for self-promotion. A lot of people do good deeds, but they want to pump themselves up. They want to do it for their own ego, for their own. They want to look good. They want to feel good. That's why they do it. They do it for a selfish reason. How do you know you do it for a selfish reason? Because they complain afterwards. Oh, that was so painful. Oh, that was so difficult. Oh, yeah, we went to feed the poor and bless the poor, but oh, it's so painful and it's so hard. And those are the ones that are doing it with the wrong motive. Anytime you do a good deed for somebody and you complain about it and you whine about it, God will strike that out of your book. Don't ever complain. When you do something good for somebody, keep your mouth shut. Otherwise, that event will be erased from the book of remembrance because you did it with the wrong heart, with the wrong motive, with the wrong intent. Intent is very important. God will judge you for the intention, not for the act. But Lord, I did this for you. Lord, I cast demons out. Lord, I prophesy. Yes, but why you did it? That's why you will be judged. If you did it out of your own self-glory because of you wanted to look good and you wanted to act, you know, like, oh, I'm so super spiritual and I'm special and I'm this and I'm that, that's your narcissistic behavior that's being highlighted. So this white throne judgment is for wicked people and Jesus' judgment seat is for us to give an account of our life and how we did it. Did we live a selfless life or did we, did we live a selfish life? Many Christians are going to be embarrassed and sad on that day because they lived a life for themselves. They didn't care about anybody else and they just grabbed whatever they could get and just demanding God of blessings and blessings and they never lifted a finger to help even one person. Or they did it once 10 years ago and they still boast about it. These are people that will be sad in heaven. Even though there's no sadness, they will have regret. They will be embarrassed. Because they'll realize my whole life I wasted on myself. I didn't do anything for anybody else. I never shared the gospel. I never shared truth. I never compromised. I mean, I never uh, confronted those who are compromised and those who are wicked and evil. We live in a day and age where good is evil and evil is good. We come across people that glorify the wicked and they hate the righteous. The world is full of that now. Society is full of that. They just love the wicked. They love the pigs. But they hate the righteous. They hate the sheep. Then the next chapter 21, then there's a new heaven. There will be new earth and a new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem will come down from heaven like a UFO. It's been amazing to see an entire city come down from heaven and land on the earth. It's an amazing story that's there. And it's an event that will happen. And we'll get to observe it. We'll get to see it. And we'll watch it. And we'll be like, wow, that's amazing. Unless we are in the New Jerusalem and we come down, ascending, descending down from heaven and coming upon the earth in the New Jerusalem. That'll be amazing. And finally, chapter 22 is the conclusion and the benediction. So it's a very powerful book. We will go through it verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter. And we must uh, take our time to study it well because we are in such times and we must focus on it. For those who are following this series, we ask you to take notes and we'll send you all the links 
of all these teachings that we have. You can listen to it on the podcast. You can listen to it on YouTube and you can study it with us and enjoy it because it's an amazing book. I just love the book of Revelation of all the books. I love Isaiah. I love the book of Revelation. It's the most fascinating book I have read. I have read hundreds of books. I have over 200 books right now on my Kindle and I have to catch up on my reading. But I can never stop being fascinated when I read the book of Revelation. So just let us run through a few points about the book of Revelation again. Let's do a summary of it so we understand what the book of Revelation is talking about. So here are just seven of the realities revealed in the book of Revelation for the encouragement of the church. So let's read it. As believers, when we read the book of Revelation, it's encouraging for us. For the unbeliever, it's a scary book. That's why people who are not right with God, they're afraid to read the book of Revelation because they know in their heart, they know in their conscience, they know in their mind that they're out of line, out of order, and they're completely lawless. And those judgments are going to come on their head. That's why they don't touch the book of Revelation. They're afraid of the book of Revelation. And a lot of pastors don't talk about it because, oh, my church will run away and the people will get scared and they'll, they'll take off. So then are you serving God or are you serving people? These pastors need to you know, get it together, get the act together, and really start teaching and preaching and studying and declaring from the book of Revelation. We are in such times. Every pastor needs to reference the book of Revelation, apply it to his own life, and then declare it to the rest of the world. That should be the role of every pastor today, to declare the soon coming of Jesus Christ and all these judgments that are going to come and the return of Antichrist as well. Even his unveiling will take place. The son of perdition, the son of destruction will be revealed. There's a revelation of the son of perdition as well. He's hidden right now. He's on the earth right now. When he is revealed to the world, people will run to him thinking that he's the Messiah. He's the, the one promised in the Bible. But unless you read the book of Revelation, you will not know the difference between the Antichrist and the return of the true Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So number one, the real Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 begins with these words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the end of the day, the book of Revelation is really a revelation of who Jesus is. Yes, there are judgments. Yes, there are end time events. Yes, there's apocalyptic events, catastrophic events. So many things are in the book of Revelation. But at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. It's about who he truly is. Yeah, we read about him in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. But when we read the book of Revelation, we get a complete picture of who the Lord Jesus really is. And the church needs that revelation. They only think of him as a suffering servant. And even today, believers think that Jesus is their servant. They're always demanding and asking him, oh Lord, what about this and what about that? They treat Jesus like he is their servant. A lot of churches operate like that. A lot of fake churches operate like that. A lot of false prophets and teachers and preachers and pastors operate like that. That's why they will come under judgment. Because they treat God like God is their servant. They're declaring and they're decreeing and they're, they're calling out stuff thinking that they are like God. And it's such fakery. It's such nonsense. It's just counterfeit garbage that's going on. There's a group of churches called the NAR. If you come across these kind of churches, run. Run for your life. Run for your future. Run for eternity from these kind of people. 
They are fake. They're a bunch of counterfeit ministers posing as true believers, but they are not. So the first revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you read the book of Revelation, always think about him. Wow, this is what the Lord is going to do. Wow, this is what Jesus said. Wow, this is what the Lord has planned for the future for us. Wow, this is how the Lord is coming to judge nations. So it's always the revelation of Jesus Christ. Once you're done with the book of Revelation, you're not going to ever talk about yourself anymore. You're going to keep talking about Jesus now. It's such a sobering book. It's such a book that will settle your faith once and for all, that all the narcissism will get out of your body and your mind and your soul. And only Jesus will remain. That's the intention and purpose for us to go through this book. So at the end of the day, once you've heard all of this teaching, once it has penetrated your heart, gone into your soul, gone into your spirit, gone into your mind, that all your narcissism, narcissism gets out. That you'll stop talking about yourself once and for all and only declare about Jesus. The fear of God will come into your heart and your mind. That you'll realize it's not just about you and your little bubble and your little world, but it's about the return of Jesus Christ and your account to Him. He's coming back to take an account of your life. You better do something right before He returns. So Revelation is first and foremost a book from Jesus and about Jesus. Okay, so that's the foundational truth of the book of Revelation. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Number two, the real church. Revelation also paints a realistic picture of the church. It doesn't give you this little prosperity gospel church. No, it tells you about how the church looks like. The real church. A lot of fake churches running around saying, oh, I've got a fancy suit and a nice car and nice building and nice worship team and nice musicians and singers and look how blessed we are. That is not the real church. That is entertainment. Plenty of people here in the West go to those kind of churches and they're just being entertained and being tickled and the pastor's making jokes and laughing and making a comedy show and thinking he's preaching. The two of these clowns running around today. They better get down to business and start preaching repentance and holiness and obedience before the Lord comes and judges. And judgment begins in the house of God first, at the pulpit first. The altar is where the judgment of God is coming first. The preachers are going to die one by one or they're going to commit suicide like Judas because they sold out Jesus for money. If your pastor preacher is preaching money, money all the time, he's a Judas. He's not preaching Christ He's not preaching salvation. He's not preaching the message of the cross. He's preaching money. And he's a Judas. That's how you know. A true pastor and a fake pastor. A true prophet and a fake prophet. A fake prophet will seek your money. A true prophet will seek your repentance. If a true prophet doesn't make you cry and you go fall on your knees and tremble in the fear of God, then that's not a true prophet. A true prophet will make you cry. Fake prophets will make you feel happy, make you feel good, give you goosebumps. Those are fake counterfeit prophets. Too many of them. They are prophets for profit. P-R-O-F-I-T. Prophets for profit. Now, that's how you know. And apostles, stop. Let's not even talk about apostles. I don't know where these monkeys jumped out of, which cave they came out of, which hole they crawled out of. I'm an apostle. 
No, you're not. There are no apostles on the earth today. There were 12 apostles. They served Jesus Christ directly. They knew him face to face, name by name. Jesus called them out and he gave them a task. They did their task and now they are with the Lord. They established the church. They laid the foundation. That's it. We don't need any more apostles. We don't have any more apostles. Say, so, no, but today we have hundreds of apostles all over the place. We have networks of apostles. Yeah, there's a big circus of clowns. So how can you say that? Because from the time that John the Apostle died till today, if you read the history of the church, there were no apostles. How is it that in our modern times, a whole bunch of these jokers and clowns have jumped up and saying, I'm an apostle. God called me to be an apostle. That's a liar, a deceiver, a fake person. Read the history of the church and you'll find out there were no apostles after John died. No mention of any apostle. There were a lot of good preachers. There were a lot of good missionaries. There were a lot of good uh, people of God that stood the test of time and they paid the price and they died for their faith. They never stood up and said, I'm an apostle. They did not. So the real church is something that has faced suffering and persecution and gone through it. So lest we think that the first century Christians had it all together, they were such super spiritual. No. Revelation chapter 2 describes how bad the church was. All their issues, all their problems, they were a mess. Ephesus, the church in Ephesus was backsliding. The church in Smyrna was suffering. The church in Pergamum was compromised. The church in Thyatira was completely polluted and compromised. The church in Sardis was a dying church. The church in Philadelphia was little. And the Laodicean church was lukewarm. And Jesus had a very specific warning for that church. But yet, Jesus personally calls these believers to press on, to endure, and to share in his eternal victory. He's giving these churches hope. He's saying, I can see your mess. I can see how messed up you are. But I'm telling you to stand up. Because he gives the promise in Revelation 3.21. The one who conquers, he promises, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. So there are a lot of these promises throughout the book of Revelation that we'll go through. Let's go to the next one. Number three, real suffering. Jesus never promised that following him would be easy. Life in a fallen world is marked by suffering. In Revelation, the seven seals are mentioned. The seven trumpets are mentioned. Seven bowls are mentioned. And all of them describe great turmoil on the earth. A lot of suffering and destruction and death. These judgments are mentioned very clearly. And there's also a debate about which parts of these sufferings that Christians will endure. But we will definitely, certainly, we will endure some of it. Okay. So, no, how is that possible? You're supposed to go up in the rapture. Tell the early church that. They didn't see any rapture. All of them died in a horrible way. A lot of the church was martyred in the time of Jesus when he was ascended, right after that, the church came under heavy attack. And a lot of them died. All the apostles died violently by the Romans. There was no rapture for them. So why is it different for us today? A lot of Western church Christians think, oh yeah, I'm not going to suffer anything. I'm just going to take off. I'm just going to fly away into heaven. There are plenty of YouTube videos talking about it. it. says, no, you haven't read the book of Revelation. That's why you talk the way you talk. Yeah, but I had a vision of the rapture. I had a vision of me going up into heaven. Yes, 
but it's not immediate, it's not imminent. It is going to happen when these things happen. So yes, the great hope of Revelation is that one day, God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Okay? So that day will come. But yeah, before that, yes, there is suffering, there's mourning, there's crying, there is pain. All that is part of life. We can't escape it. Number four, real hostility. We'll see hostility. We've seen it throughout the history of the church. Violence against the church. Violence against true believers. There's always been violence. There's always been persecution. There's always been trouble. But through it all, Jesus says, endure. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. And I will reward you for that. So, number five, real deception. Revelation 12 verse 9 calls Satan the deceiver of the whole world. Throughout the book, he deceives the world into engaging with him in active rebellion against Almighty God. Revelation chapter 16. So we'll go through that in detail, but there is real deception. The Bible warns of deception. And the book of Revelation specifically warns of how Satan is going to come to deceive the whole world. That's why when we read the book of Revelation, our eyes are opened. And then we can say, yeah, I'm not going to be deceived because now I know. So when Satan comes to try to deceive you, like, uh-uh, Satan, get lost. I know the truth. I know what God revealed through his son in the book of Revelation. So, number six, real judgment. All the bowls and the seals and the trumpets is a confirmation that God's going to judge this earth in a severe manner. The ungodly and the wicked and the evil people will suffer miserably. They will suffer horrific judgments and that they will not die. They will be kept alive. They will be tormented and demonized and still they'll be kept alive so that they can come to God, ask his forgiveness and be saved. That's the purpose of all these judgments. So there's real judgment coming. For a long time we've been under grace. For a long time everybody's been on a picnic. A lot of people have taken advantage of the grace of God. Everybody's played games, played church. they played all kinds of nonsense. Now the time is coming for real judgment to come. But if you walk blameless before God, you learn to walk holy and obedient to God, you won't have to worry about these judgments. God will protect His faithful ones. The wicked and the lawless, yeah, those judgments are coming on their head. Everywhere we go, we warn wicked men. Tell them, stand straight, stop your nonsense, and walk in obedience. And they cry for two minutes in front of us, and then they run away like cowards. We've had many encounters like that. Many interactions, many episodes. I should have recorded them and sent them a video to see what kind of a coward these men are. I should have made a series of videos and put it on YouTube and made these men famous for being the cowards that they are. But then I didn't have a camera at the time. I should have recorded all their nonsense, all their crying and playing the you know, victim and all this nonsense, all the drama that they do in front of you. It's like, give me an Oscar for, for my performance because look, I'm trying to convince you what an ass I am. And then we have to tell them to get lost, quite a few of them, because they're trying to deceive even the men and women of God in the house of God. That's how depraved and debauched these men are. And the women are no less. They're crying for these men. They're crying in the church. They're crying to God. And then they're going back 
and they're enabling these men to do the same garbage over and over. They get abused and beaten and all of this by these men and then they go right back to the abuse. And then they come and say, Pastor, pray for my husband. Like, what's the point of praying? They don't need prayer. They need repentance. They need to be real men and stand straight before Almighty God. That's what they don't want to do. They want to continue abusing. They want to continue being womanizers. They want to continue being alcoholics. And then they want to say, where's my blessing? And my Christian wife should bless me and take care of me and make me my food and all this nonsense. It's unbelievable hypocrisy going on. That's why that older generation, we've given up on them. They're like, y'all keep playing your hypocritical games and then judgment will come suddenly and it'll be too late for you. But that's why we focus on the next generation. We tell the next generation, do not look at the older generation. They are the worst example. Don't take their advice. Don't take their counsel. Don't listen to them. Tell them to shut them out because they have no credibility to open them out. They have lived a horrible life and now they're trying to set an example for the next generation. And we have to step into that and say, just shut your mouth because you have no business opening your mouth. You've never even read the Bible. What kind of wisdom or counsel or knowledge are you going to give? Number seven, real glory. There's a future hope for every believer because we're going to enter a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to be in the new Jerusalem. We're going to be in an amazing place for eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's real glory waiting for the true believer. And we must be prepared for that. The purpose of holiness, the purpose of perfection in our walk with God is to prepare us for the glory of God. If you have darkness in you, you have evil in you, you have lawlessness in you, you cannot survive the glory of God. You will die in the glory of God. So all this suffering, all this persecution, all these tough times, it's to purify your soul, to purify your mind, to purify your heart, to search your heart and to confess your evil ways, confess your wicked ways, be honest and open and transparent before God and say, Lord, fix my life, heal my heart, get my life in order. Teach me to obey you. Give me a heart to obey you. It's hard to obey God. But when we do it, when we ask God's help, the Holy Spirit comes to help. He will speak to you. He will give you guidance. He will give you wisdom. He will give you knowledge. He will give you direction through His Word. You must study the Word to hear from God. You cannot hear from God outside of the Word of God. That's divination. Don't try to trust stuff that you saw outside and you're not even bothered to open your Bible. Then you're getting information. Yeah, it could be accurate, yes. But it is divination. It is not from God. God will not speak outside of His Word. If you're not taking the time and trouble to study His Word, ground your life in that Word, and then receive something supernatural or whatever, then all that you have seen or saw, whatever that you think you experience, is from the darkness. It's from the evil one. That's part of the deception Satan has for lawless people, for narcissists. And if you don't receive nothing and you're completely clueless and you're like a zombie, then you're in far worse trouble than you think. But I don't hear from God and I don't see anything and I don't experience nothing and I'm not studying the Bible and I'm not, but I'm a believer. Really, what kind of a believer are you? And maybe God is not speaking to you because He knows you're rebellious and disobedient. Why will God speak to you? Even through His Word. When He knows, He knows your heart. He knows your lifestyle. He knows you're not going to obey Him. That's why He's completely ignored you and He's turned His back on you. And all that is left is evil that is waiting at the door for you. It's a serious time. We can't play games 
we must fully comply with the Word of God. And as we study the book of Revelation, it'll bring that seriousness into your soul. It'll bring that soberness in your mind and your thoughts. All your ego trips and all your little bubble that you live in is going to burst because the book of Revelation is a very serious book. But it's a book of great hope and joy for the true believer. So this is just the introduction. And we will continue next week and actually step into the book of Revelation and start reading from the first chapter of the first verse and go verse by verse, line by line. So I hope this, this brief outline helped you and we will continue the series till we finish all the way to chapter 22. So we're not going to discuss any other subject, any other doctrine, any other teaching except staying right in the middle of the book of Revelation going from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 22. So pray for us that God gives us wisdom to fully establish His Word correctly, rightly dividing the Word of Truth without compromise, without error, so that we can present the truth to this generation so that they will be prepared for what is to come as it has been laid out in the book of Revelation. So once we are done with this book, you'll have a thorough knowledge of the book of Revelation. You'll have a thorough understanding of what is coming upon this earth in this time, in this generation, so that you're not caught by surprise. Unbelievers will be terrified. But for the believer, you'll say, oh yeah, okay, I know. I know why this happened because the book of Revelation describes it. Jesus already said that these things would happen. The believer will be at peace. There'll be a supernatural peace because the Holy Spirit's with you. The angels of God are with you. And even the Lord himself is with you. He says, behold, I will be with you even until the end of the age. Many of us will not live a long life. Many of us will not grow to be 70, 80 years old. We are going to have a very short life on this earth right now. And then we will move into the millennial kingdom. So this short period of grace that you still have, study yourself approved. Walk in the right way. Change your habits. Repent. The word repent means to change, to turn away. It doesn't mean to cry for five minutes and then go back to the same nonsense. That is not repentance. So stop playing games. Get your life straightened out. Get your spiritual house in order. Today you get the virus and you die. It's too late for you. And there are many like that are going in that way today. And they have nothing to show God for their life. Nothing. Yeah, but I have a big house and a big truck. What has that got to do for the future, for eternity? Nothing. You cannot take it with you to hell. And you can't take it with you to heaven. So what's going to happen with all your stuff? It's going to get left behind and rot over here. And thieves and robbers are going to come and take it. So don't focus on the outward. Don't focus on the stuff that's around you. Start thinking of the eternal. Start thinking of what God has prepared for you in the future with Him. We have a glorious future waiting for us. No Christian should be depressed for nothing. No Christian should really be suicidal. Why are you suicidal? For what are you suicidal? You haven't read the book of Revelation. That's why you're suicidal. You have hopelessness because it's all about you. That's why you're suicidal. You look at yourself, of course you're going to get depressed. People that look at themselves and their garbage and their nonsense, yeah. If that's all you do 24-7, absolutely you're going to get depressed and suicidal. So stop doing that, and that's garbage living, and look up. Look unto your redemption. Look unto Jesus, the glorious one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am that I am, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I can keep going on and on and on. 
That's what your mind should be preoccupied with. That's what your heart should be full of love for him. You've lost your first love. Unless you never had the first love. That's why you're suicidal. You never loved Jesus in the first place. That's why you're sad and depressed and miserable. Because you never knew what it was to fall in love with Jesus. So if I'm talking to you, go on your knees and say, Lord, I want to experience your love so I can fall in love with you. It's the most amazing experience on this earth, even before you meet him face to face. I can't wait to, to meet the Lord. I'm ready to die today so that I can see him face to face. I just want to stay with him and do Bible study with him for the rest of eternity. Say, okay, Lord, what about this? What about that? I have a million questions in my head. People come and ask me a million questions about the Bible and about this age. I'm like, you don't understand. I have a million questions to ask the Lord in the future, in eternity. I'm going to harass him for the rest of eternity. He's going to be like, David, stop it. I have too many questions from you. I'm like, yes, Lord, I have even more. I have so many things. My mind has gone in so many different directions when it comes to heaven, when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to so many different topics of the Bible. My mind goes 100 miles an hour thinking, wow. And then my own personal experiences, my own visions, the things I've experienced, the dreams I've had. I'm like, well, Lord, what, why did you show me that dream? Lord, why did you give me that vision? Lord, why did you not heal this person? Well, Lord, why didn't you deliver that one? I have a million questions to ask him. And I'm still waiting for those answers. I'm eagerly waiting when the Lord comes. So you need to be in that place saying, Lord, I need to know from you. What is your plans for my life? What is your will for my life? What is you, your desire for me? So that when I come and stand before you or kneel before you or fall on my face before you, I would have done what you required from me. So the purpose of reading and studying and doing a Bible study is not just to fill your head with knowledge and to feel pumped up and say, oh yeah, I have knowledge and I know the Bible. That's not the purpose of studying the Bible. The purpose of studying scripture is to know Jesus so that you can come to know him. That's the purpose of the Bible. You see crazy people running around, Jesus, oh, I only study the King James Version of the Bible. Who cares what version do you read? Do you know Jesus? That's my question to these people. They're pumping up and down, jumping up and down. Oh, I have the King James only Bible. Wake up. You don't even know the Lord who is in the book. How do you know whether you really know him or not? Just because you read the King James only? You've got so many crazy people running around. And they have no clue. Just being religious and dogmatic and just, you know, I don't know, like Pharisees. And Jesus rebuked those kind of people. Like, yeah, you all know the tithe and you all know the offering and you all know the temple sacrifices. You all know all of that. You all have no compassion. You all have no mercy. You all have no forgiveness. He called them out. And we are in such times. Even people running around the Bible, doesn't matter if you have a Bible in your hand. Show me your life. Show me your relationships around you. How loving are you to one another? I'm guilty of the same. I'm not a saint. My children call me out every single day. I struggle with love. I struggle with affection. I love. I have to show more and more to my wife and I'm getting knocked on my head every day. A reminder. And I have to say, yes, okay, I'm learning, I'm learning. And I'm praying, Lord, give me that love that they're expecting from me. I need the love of God to share it with my family and my loved ones and my friends. So yeah, let us study this book and let us be grounded in our faith in the Lord Jesus and His return and what is to come before His return. So in Jesus' name, I pray that you all would really go deep into this book with me. 
and we study it and apply it and fully realize what God has in store for us in the near future. So in Jesus' mighty name, I bless you. Leave your comments down below. Tell us what your prayer requests are. We always love to pray. We've seen God answer many prayers. So leave your prayer requests and we will pray for you. We will reach out to you if we can, as time permits, and we will be able to bless you in this season through our prayers, through our faith, and through the preaching of the word. So in Jesus' name, we bless you. Amen. Mm -hmm.